for the past eight weeks, uh, there's been something that I've been asking you to pray, even if you're not uh, a Christian yet, you, that you can play along, to just try it, to begin to pray, God, cause me to see people the way that you see them and burden my heart with the things that burden yours. And if you are a Christian, this is a prayer that we need to be praying from now until our final breath. And my prayer has been that God would give every single one of you a vision for what he wants to do in and through you individually and for us collectively and as a community and to give you a vision for a great work that he wants to accomplish in and through you in the lives of others and to give you a passion to serve or reach a specific person or a specific people group, uh, whether it's in this church or in the environments and where you live, where you work, where you go to school, uh, throughout the week, because if you're a Jesus follower uh, and you're in the daily grind of just being, trying to be faithful in your day-to-day life, that God is doing something bigger in your life, as he was in the life of Nehemiah that we've been talking about. And if you, in case you've missed or in case this is your first time, we've been learning from Nehemiah. He was a Jew who lived in Persia during the time when the Jews were living in captivity, and his capital city of Jerusalem had been in ruins for over 150 years. And Nehemiah concludes, I need to go back to the city that I've never seen, rally all these apathetic people together, and have my life violently threatened by the neighboring uh, cities and countries, and I need to rebuild these walls that have lain in ruins for 150 years. And as impossible as it sounded, God actually made the way, and it worked out. Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. He casts the vision to rebuild the walls. He rallies the people. He was a great leader, and they begin to rebuild these walls. And just like us, they got caught up in the seemingly mundane day-to-day details of pursuing what they felt like God had called them to pursue. But all the while, God was doing something bigger behind the scenes that they weren't even aware of. Now, if you've ever struggled with the idea, like, what's the big deal about Israel? Uh, God chose Israel as a starting point. The truth is, he he could have started with any people group. But just for his own reasons, he decided to choose this people group for what he ultimately wanted to do for the whole world. And it began by making Israel a lighthouse to the surrounding nations. In fact, there's a passage in Isaiah. This is God speaking to Israel. He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And this is God talking to Israel saying, I'm going to establish you like a lighthouse. I'm going to do in and through you and for you something that's going to be so unique and so incredible that the people in the surrounding areas and regions, people will go, wow, like Israel's God is the real deal. Israel's God is the one true living God, and that's exactly what the Old Testament is. It's just story after story of how God did all these extraordinary things to get the attention of the surrounding nations, because back then it was a very religious culture. Everybody had a God. Kings thought they were God. When the nations went into battle, they would carry their gods. And whichever army won, they would just assume that their gods were more powerful than the other gods. And so God said to Israel, I'm going to establish you as a nation, and I'm going to do it in such a way that it gets the attention of the rest of the world. So you remember the story of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. It's like, why all the plagues? Like the river turns to blood and there's frogs and flies and the cattle die and the sun goes dark and it's just like one plague after another. Well, it was God's way of saying to Pharaoh, you think you're God, but you're not. I'm going to take every single religious icon of your culture and I'm going to turn it on you because see, they worshiped flies. They, they worshiped the sun. They worshiped the river. So that by the time Israel left Egypt, there was no doubt in the Egyptians' minds, God's, the Israel's God, like he's the real deal God. 
And then there's this amazing story of Jericho. Like, how are we going to take Jericho? Well, we're going to march around it a bunch of times, and the walls are going to fall down on their own. It's like, what? Yeah, we're going to march around it. it. Why? Because God said so. Why? Because Joshua, I don't want the people of Jericho or the surrounding nations to think, wow, what a great leader Joshua is. I want them to think, wow, their God is the God. And the story about Gideon, he's facing a a, a brutal enemy. He had 32,000 men, and even with that, he was still outnumbered 10 to 1. And God says, you have too many men. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, you got too many men. Get rid of a bunch of them. So he gets rid of two-thirds of the men. God says, you still have way too many men. And Gideon finally gets it down to 300 men. God's like, these odds, I like And they surround the Amalekite army, tens of thousands of people, and they all rushed down, all 300 of them. And God confused the Amalekites so that they all turned on and killed each other. And you see, the next morning, the message wasn't, wow, Gideon is such a great leader. No, he wasn't. He got rid of two-thirds of his army. The news was, wow, Israel's God is God. And then you ever hear of Jehoshaphat? So there's this great battle. God says to Jehoshaphat, I want you to put the choir in the front. He's like, God, they're not that bad. No, put them in front because when this is over, I don't want everyone saying what a great military leader Jehoshaphat is. I want them saying, wow, that had to be God. And all throughout the Old Testament, all this war and bloodshed, you think of, is it even compatible with the New Testament? And it is because in that time and in that culture, God knew to get the surrounding nation's attention, what it was going to take, and that Israel was a standout, which also explains why when they messed up, God would come down on them hard. Because in that culture, God knew what it would take, that that people are putting you up as a lighthouse. So just like I've blessed you when you were obedient, and the nations are watching, and they go, wow, their God is God, in the same way when you mess up, I've got to come down on you hard to where people go, Okay, don't mess with their God. And then there are all these wonderful stories about how pagan, unbelieving kings like Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, a military leader named Naaman, people who weren't even Jews, they saw the power of God, and they're like, wow, forget our gods. Israel's God, Yahweh. He is God. And that is exactly what God is, was up to when he brought Nehemiah back to rebuild the walls. Because Nehemiah wasn't thinking about being a light to the nations. All Nehemiah was thinking about is like, I've got to get back. I've got to rebuild these walls and I've got to get these people some protection. We need to reestablish the law and worship. But God was in the background doing something bigger, just like he is in our lives if we're following him. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6 if you want to follow along while the verses on the screen. Uh, Nehemiah 6.15. So Persia's watching, all the surrounding nations are watching. And in verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, which is October 22nd, 444 BC, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost all their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And that was and is God's point all along. These surrounding nations, they've been so haughty and puffed up and they had mocked and intimidated and threatened to attack. They had been so arrogant and so full of themselves. And as the Bible says that when they put those gates in place and shut them, it was just like, like a balloon. And it just deflated. It deflated everything. And all the surrounding nations, they were just stunned. They just looked at each other and it's like, can you believe it? Those ragtag bunch of Jews, they built, they built a wall. And they saw just enough of God's thumbprint 
in this whole project to say Israel's God, the Jewish God, was involved in that. And I love this story because I don't know about you, but my world is not like most of the old, uh, old, other Old Testament stories. See, if you're a Jesus follower and you're in the workplace or you're looking for opportunities to try and persuade or convince people that Jesus is the Son of God, he did predict to pull off his own death and resurrection. I mean, how easy would it be if you could take him out to one of the nearby lakes and have it part or be able to call fire down from heaven and then go, see, my God, the God, get your act together. I, I, it's like, it's, otherwise, it's just kind of, if you think about your friends, your family, it's just sort of your word against theirs. And, you know, but what if you could pull off one of these things? And, 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 you know, your family is normally like, well, what I believe is, and maybe this, and, and I think the universe, and, but if you pull off one of these things, but the great thing for us in this story is there's no miracles, not one, nothing visibly supernatural, no supernatural intervention, just commitment, drive, blood, sweat, and tears, like day-to-day life, like it is for all of us, but with just enough of the divine intervention that people knew, that was more than hard work, and that was more than good leadership. There's something divine about what happened here, and they were afraid. Let me tell you why this is so important for us. For those of you, if, if, like, I mean, if you're not a Christian, you get a pass on this. It's great. But if you're a Christian, you're a Jesus follower, you and I, we're just kind of lost in the nitty-gritty of day-to-day life, trying to live a guiding, God-given vision for our life, for your singleness, for your marriage, for your relationships, for your education or your work or your career or your retirement. And you're making lots of just little decisions every day, maybe a big one once in a while. And you're in the nitty-gritty, just brick-and-mortar part of trying to be faithful to how God has called you to live, seeking to do what he's called you to do. You're just kind of living in the trenches. God is establishing you and me as a light to our world, in our culture, that is so clouded and so dark. Because between the Old and the New Testament, God took the responsibility of being a light away from the nation of Israel, and he gave it to the church. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, he gave it specifically to you and to me, to his followers. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are now the light of the world. Israel had been the light, but you are now the light of the world. A city, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand And he gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see not your victories in battle, but they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's like, what works? Well, all the works that he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, acts of love, sacrifice, generosity towards others, seeing others as God sees them and treating them accordingly and being burdened by the things that burden the heart of God and taking action. God has established you and me to be little points of light in a very dark culture. And he wants it to be something about our lives that is not supernatural. I mean, maybe you have a miracle in your life, like every weekend or every month, maybe once a year. I don't. I mean, my life is just kind of normal daily grind, working to be faithful in the things that I believe God has called me to, to trust God and the pain and the disappointment and the frustrations, just like everybody else. God wants us to live and function in this real world to be such that even if there's the absence of like divine, supernatural miracles, that there's something divine about it, that there's something unique, that there's something that catches people's attention and that they would ultimately discover that we're just simply a conduit of our Heavenly Father. 
We're called to be a point of light in attracting people to our Heavenly Father through our life and through our lifestyle. But the question I have to ask myself, the question that you have to ask yourself if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, is am I a light or am I simply a shade of gray in a dark world? I mean, what gets people's attention? I mean, we know some things that don't, like, like I'm old enough, like back, I know back in the 80s and 90s, it became really popular for uh, Christians to put one of those little plastic fish on the back of their car, and then, of course, the atheists, you know, they came up with the fish with the truth, and then the Christians, because we can't stand that, we got to get the fish eating the truth fish, and it's just like, you know, the fish war, it's like, but never have I heard the story of somebody going, you know, pulling somebody over with a fish sticker on their car going, I saw the fish on your car, I want what you have, you know, there's something different about you. And I'm not against that, okay? Maybe you have one. It's, it's great. So that way, you know, if you cut somebody off in traffic, they'd be like, it's okay, they got a fish. You're probably in a hurry to lead somebody to Jesus. You know, it's also not going to church. You know, you go to church, oh, I want to be like you. It's not even staying away from sin. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. I mean, and maybe you have kids, and it's like you want to be so careful about who your kids play with and what draws people is not by not letting your kids play with their kids. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't feel like your child is a good influence on Johnny. So, you know, oh, I want to be like you. Like, that's, I mean, there's all kinds of built-in things as Christians that we don't do and some things that we shouldn't do and we don't. And, and those are good. That's good. But the thing is, these are not the things that cause people to go, wow. Like, I want what you have. Like, tell me about this. People did not follow Jesus because of what he didn't do. They followed him because of what he did do. So what does that look like for us? You know, Nehemiah and the people, they had the wall. What can be true of our lives to get your real life unchurched outside your friends and family to go, okay, this must be the real deal. And there's probably dozens of things. I'll just give you three. The first thing is, is peace. Or you could put peace and joy. And this isn't that somehow your whole life and everything is just perfect and everything's great and you're just smiley all the time. But we live in a world that doesn't have any peace and it doesn't have much joy. So when circumstances go bad, you know, all they can do is be irritated, angry, overwhelmed, and fearful. But if you want to get people's attention, the next time you're going through a difficult, difficult time, you pray like crazy that God will allow you to maintain your peace and your joy and you lean into other believers for encouragement and you maintain your trust that God has not fallen off his throne in your circumstances, and he will give you peace that passes understanding, and you'll have people's attention. It's like, he did what? And you didn't leave him? You didn't leave her? You didn't quit? You didn't go off? I mean, aren't you mad you forgave them? Like, how can you just sit there? I mean, with what you're facing, aren't you completely overwhelmed? I mean, like, you seem calm. Well, I am calm. And here's why. Because when you've got big, gigantic God and his son on your team, you can have peace. It's like, in my corner, God. Who's in the other corner? Doesn't matter. I've got God. Yeah, things aren't working out the way that I thought they would or the way I want them to. I don't know how things are going to work out, but I remind myself, God is in my corner. And that gives me a peace, a peace that passes understanding. And peace is more than just for you. Peace is for the world to see. Joy is for the world to see. And my peace and my joy light shine brightest when my circumstances are darkest. But my tendency is just like you. It's to get caught up and lost in my circumstances 
And my world can get very small and very focused very much on myself. And I can forget the big picture that for my sake and for those outside, God offers peace. That you and I are surrounded by people. They want so desperately to be able to go to bed at night, look up at the ceiling, and just go. Even though circumstances seem out of control, they're not. Everything's going to be okay inside, outside. But that is noticeably missing in their lives. So when you and I demonstrate that we can have peace and joy and hope in the most difficult of circumstances, that gets people's attention. You know what else gets people to notice? Good, healthy, strong, long-term relationships. Because we live in a world that is relationally challenged in the biggest kind of way. And people notice good marriages that last. They notice couples and families that they don't just love each other, they actually like each other. Single adults, you know what else that means? It means if you set up a real high standard for your life, it's like, what? You've never slept together? No. Come on, never? No, never. It's not necessarily in that moment that they want to be like you, but they notice. That's something different. And there's light in a dark world. Those kind of standards protect you. You'll be better off. But it's not just for you so that you can reap all the benefits. Yes, the nation of Israel was blessed when they were obedient, but God didn't just set them up for someone to bless. He set them up to be a light for those who didn't know or believe in him the same way that God has established us as lights. And people take note of relationships at work and marriages that are strong and families at work and people with standards who are willing to say no to good opportunities in order to stay on track mentally and spiritually and relationally. And you know what else people notice? They notice service, kindness, and generosity with no strings attached. Why? Because it's unusual. I, I mean, just serving and being kind and generous with no strings attached, that's not how the world works. But how often do we, honestly, how often do we think that way? I mean, when you think about your prayers, do you ever pray anything like, Lord, today I want to be faithful and obedient, and I want you to arrange my day in such a way that I have a chance to serve or show kindness or generosity in a way that is a light to the people that I work with, the people I cross paths with, the people I go to school with. Each day we need to begin praying, Lord, not only do I want to be faithful and obedient, and avoiding doing things that hurt me or hurt others. But Lord, I want you to help me treat others in such a way that those who are watching would go, I don't know what's going on with you, but I want some of what you have. I want that in my life. How do you do it? How can you do what you do with and have the attitude that you have? How could you so willingly sacrifice your time and give the way that you do? Because God. And you might be tempted to say, Chad, no one is watching me. Yes, they are. You know how I know people are watching your life and mine? Because you watch people's lives and mine. Like, you're watching everybody's life. You know, you're, like, if there's a gathering or an event and you get together with other people, you know, as soon as you say goodbye and the car door shuts or the front door shuts, immediately you start talking. Like, did you see and did you hear and did this? Like, did you see how he treated her or hear what she said? Like, no, 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 no. You know, and, and it's either like, man, they were made for each other. Like, I think they shouldn't be together. Oh, yeah, it's, or did you see the way their kids acted? Like, don't you wish our kids were like that? It's like, oh my gosh, I hope my kids never act like that. In fact, give me a week with their kids. I will have them straighten up so quickly. 
you know, we know the marriages or relationships we want to be like and not. We see how other people, what they're experiencing in life and what we want to experience and what we don't. We watch people. We all do. Which means other people are watching us too. And if you have somehow attached Christian or Jesus to your name in your community, in your classroom, in your workplace, people are definitely watching for you. They're watching you. There's going to be a small percentage they're watching for a crack. They're watching for just where it doesn't line up, what you say and what you do. But honestly, in my experience, the majority are watching you desperately hoping that it's true. They're watching you to help them to decide, is it real? Is there really more to this life than this life? Is there really a true hope that I can experience? And this is a very sobering reality for every single one of us who claims to be a Christian. Because God has placed you in that your community, your classroom, your workplace, your family, in that relationship as a light. And as you're in the day-to-day grind of pursuing what God has for you in your life and what God has called you to do, you just need to know people are watching. People are watching you. And you're called to be his light to this world and to their world. And God is establishing you and us as a church as another point of light in this community. That's what this is. It's just little points of light. They come together weekly to get recharged or refocused, to go out and be lights in the community and in this dark world to where people would say, maybe there is something to all of this. And to be the kind of church that, such that they can come into our community and find that there is something to this. And we have something very much in common with Nehemiah. And that is that we are part of a long lineage of people that God has given the honor and the responsibility of being a light, of living our lives in such a way that there's just enough of divine nature to it that people go, there's something more and there's something attractive at play here. And as I close, I just, I want to encourage some of you because I know some of you are feeling frustrated because you felt like, you feel like you have been called to be the light or a light in the lives of others. And you might say, Chad, I've, I've known these people for years and years. I've not made any progress at all. You don't know that. Chad, I've lived my life consistently and faithfully for decades and there's been no progress. You don't know that. The only thing that we're called to measure ourselves and our faithfulness to is ourselves against is our faithfulness, our daily obedience. Not just so that we can make our lives better and make us better at life. It's so that it's about being a light in this dark culture and this community. And, And Many of you, you're, you're here in church or you're listening online because you had a light or two in your life and they weren't sure they were making a difference either, but they did. And there was just something different and real enough about them that when they talked about God and their faith and you saw their love and their peace and their generosity, you thought, I, I want what they have and now it's your turn. So, What would it look like for you to begin like people are watching? What are some things you felt God has prompted you? I feel like God wants me to do this. 
I feel like he wants me to serve this individual or serve this group of people or to initiate this conversation. What are people learning about Jesus? That Jesus, if you've claimed to place your faith in him, what are they learning? Are there some things you need to do differently to make your light shine brighter? I suspect there is, and I suspect you know what those things are. And once again, I just want to ask you to just be praying relentlessly. God, help me to see people the way you see them and burden my heart with the things that burden you. And then add to that, God, as you do that, cause me to be a light in the lives of the people who are watching me. Starting today, starting tomorrow as I restart my school week or my work week. So when someday people tell their stories of coming to faith in you, of life change, that they'll name my name because I was the light that you called me to be. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so gracious. And Father, I'll be the first to acknowledge that when I came to faith in you, I really wasn't signing up to be a light. (laughs) I just was signing up to make sure that things went well after I died. And God, honestly, that's true for most of us. But Father, you've called us to so much more and you've given us such an opportunity And every one of us have people in our lives that um, struggle with skepticism and doubt. And God, I pray that you would truly cause us to live and act and treat others in such a way that it stands out, that it isn't just ordinary, but it's extraordinary. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a sense of the people in our lives that you've called us to serve, to love unconditionally, And that, Father, you will give us what it takes to step up to do that for them, for their sake and for ours, and ultimately so that they might know you. God, I pray all these things in the the name of Jesus. Amen.